Kia ora. Ah, uh, oh, wow. Um, whew, okay. Cool. Yeah, so um, not only did uh, I end up having to speak on my birthday, I'm going to talk about suffering. So thanks, James. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it because God is so good. <laughs> yeah. um, before I start on the, the thing, I just want to have it say a quick word about Matariki. So um, it was really nice of the government to give me an extra weekend, extra day, of week, an extra long weekend for my birthday. So um, that's pretty cool. They did it specially for me. No. Um, but what I wanted to say is that there's, it's interesting this week in the news. There's been a lot of stuff about... Um, uh, worshipping the stars and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think we need to buy into that, right? So as um, James or Anna, one of you said, you know, God made the stars. And so, but I, the thing I, I was listening to a guy on the radio and he was talking about that the heart of it. It's a moment where we can look at the past and recognise what has come before us and, and has led to where we stand now. And then from that place, look at the future and see how those things can take us forward. And I think about, <clears throat> you know, when I think about my walk with God and the people who have influenced me and the people who have shaped who I am as a, as a person and as a Christian, both living and dead, right? There, there are people who have had a profound impact on my faith, John Wimber being one of them, um, who I never met, but has still speak to me uh, through his writing and through his, through his stuff all the time. So... So I think there's a, there is, if we kind of, you can sort of go past all the stuff about um, what, what to worship, because we worship the Lord. We worship Jesus, the creator and maker of all things. And, uh, but there is something in there about remembering where we've come from and, and then looking to where we might go and remembering where he's brought us from and remembering and thinking about where he might take us. So... So that is what Matariki means to me. Oh, okay. Um, living the Future. So um, I'm reading a really cool book called Live the Future or Living the Future, which is a, uh, I just called it a cool book. This is going to sound very uncool, but it's a basically an, uh, uh, takes you through the theology of Vineyard and particularly the theology that John Wimber grew and developed over the course of his time as the leader of our movement. Um, uh, it's really easy and accessible and a really good read and I'd highly recommend it to anyone. Um, but I've really been struck by this phrase, live the future. Because at the heart, you know, we've been talking about the kingdom of God at the heart of what we are called to do as his people is live the future. And I'm going to use a, there's a there's, in one of the footnotes, in the book, it talks about how our normative behaviour, so what I mean by normative is the things that we think should be things that everyone does. For our normative behaviour as people in the vineyard, we should look to the future kingdom, the future heaven and the future earth and go, what does that mean? What does that look like? And How do I work and live now? So that's what I mean by live the future. Look to that place and live that, and, look, and, how do, and then we learn to live that now. 
Because the reality is, is that we live and we exist in the in-between. Now, I'm going to give a very quick uh, pictorial summary of the kingdom of God theology in the theology of the vineyard. So we live, oh, that's not very easy to read. We live in this present evil age. So there's a line across the bottom, right? So we live, in Scripture it talks about this time of uh, brokenness, really, the time of the rule of um, our enemy and and a time of suffering and sin and brokenness. We live in that time. And that's been going on since Genesis 3, really. So it's been going on since the fall. But that is not the end for us, right? It's not hopeless because we have a God who is going to recreate the heavens and the earth, who's going to make all things new, who's going to wipe every tear from every eye. And that is the rule, the age of God's rule and reign, the new heavens and the new earth. And right in the middle of history, there was a momentous event where God sent his son to live a sinless life and to uh, die, uh, uh, to suffer and die on the cross, in order that he might purchase our salvation and our redemption, and in order that he might, uh, the, the fancy word is, inaugurate the kingdom, initiate the coming kingdom. And so the first coming of the king, Jesus overcomes sin and death and offers everyone a way to enter into the kingdom. So that moment Right In that moment, uh, Jesus overcame sin and death. And the proof of that is the resurrection. He is the first fruits of our inheritance, the first fruits of the kingdom. And he kicked something off then that changed everything. And then throughout the, the remaining time, oh my, my graphic is not really working, it's too hard to read, but basically the kingdom breaks in. There are moments when the kingdom breaks in. I was uh, saved in a, a youth hostel in a, in a room with, there were three other guys asleep at the time. It was two o'clock in the morning. And um, for a whole lot of reasons that I'm not going to go into now, I was in a lot of emotional pain. And I reached out to a God I didn't think exist. In fact, I, I, my prayer was, God, if you exist, please take this pain away and I'll do whatever you want. And I was overcome by the Spirit. The kingdom broke in. God broke in in that moment and changed me. And he's done that and is doing it all the time when he's saving people. But it's not just in salvation. The kingdom breaks in in other ways. God's kingdom is breaking in through his people throughout history. Since the time that Jesus came, God has broken in and saving people, healing them, giving them peace, uh, helping them and teaching them to, to minister to the poor and serve the, the, the sick. And his people, are his body, right? The church is the body of Christ, his hands and feet. We go to be agents of the future. But we live in the in-between. We live between the first coming and the second coming. In the second coming, so in the first coming, 
Jesus overcomes sin and death in a way that enables all of us to enter into the presence of God and to be with him. He's here with us now, right? And to be, be his people and for him to dwell with us as we sung. And in the second coming, he will uh, defeat once and for all sin and death and Satan. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth and, and all, all the, as I said, all, every tear will be wiped away. So we live in this in-between. We live uh, between the initiation and the completion of God's kingdom. And, the, and between the initiation and the completion of his destruct, destruction of evil. We live in between the creation and the recreation. We live in between the rule of the enemy and the rule of the righteous king. And we are to be agents in that world. Fundamentally, we live in a war zone because there is a cosmic conflict going on. The, the outcome is, is certain, right? It has already been won. The, the, the analogy that sometimes gets used is if you know your um, 20th century history, right, the, the, in the Second World War, when the Allies landed on the beach on June the 6th, 1944, and actually got a foothold and were able to, to hold that ground and bring supplies ashore, the war was won at that point. But it took another year for the war to be over. And there was still suffering in that time. We live in that time. Oh, I forgot a little thing, sorry. I'm just gonna jump back to Matariki. Natalia had a really cool, uh, the word for the day, Joshua 24, 13. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose, choose for yourselves the day, the, the, this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And that is actually the uh, challenge before us every day. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So who are we serving? So we live, we live the future in the in-between. So I, I, I've alluded to this several times. Revelation. So what is that future? What are we living? What are we living for? What are we living to? Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among, his, among the people, and he will dwell with them, and, he, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So when, we talk, when I'm talking about living the future, that's what I mean. How can we, empowered by the Holy Spirit, be agents of that future today and now? But... It's easy to talk about all of that, but man, we go through some stuff, don't we? It, it, it can be quite hard <laughs> living the present, let alone living the future. Um, and so what I want to lean into today and talk about is 
suffering. Not a glamorous topic, but if you read the New Testament, there are so, there's so much in there about it and about what it means for us and means for Christians. Uh, there's this really good little book here called, it's by John Wimber, called Kingdom Suffering um, and why do, pe- why do People Suffer? And honestly, I, I read it in preparation for this and was so blessed by what was in here. It takes about half an hour to read. And I really, and as he says in the beginning, if you haven't suffered, you should read it so that you're prepared for when you do, because it comes. Uh, I think we have a couple of copies, or at least one, which I'll give back to James. So um, there may be another one floating around, but you can always get this one off, James, if you, if you want. Um, but it's really good. I'm going to read some stuff from it. Um, what was I going to say next? Ah, there we go. So what's the, what, is, what is it for? What are we working for? What are we saved for? Um, I mean, this is one of many scriptures that could speak to this. So Christ himself, so this is from Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip the, his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach maturity in the faith and, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of God. So um, in, in this book, John Wimber talks about that. And I'm just going to read. He says, being, being full in Christ means to imitate him in every way, to take on Christ's moral attributes, which include goodness, seeking the welfare of others, holiness, living apart from sin and in moral purity, and righteousness, acting in a just manner always. But how are we to accomplish this lofty goal? In our own strength, it is impossible. But if we allow him, Jesus can accomplish it in us, And one of the means he uses is obedience and suffering. In other words, God permits hard times in the lives of Christians to cultivate in us a new quality of life to conform us more closely to his nature. When we suffer, we have a choice. We can believe in God. We can believe God is unjust and does not care for us. Or we can believe he is good and that whatever comes from his hand is tempered with mercy and a desire for our growth. And then he quotes uh, Romans 1.17, for the righteous live by faith. And he tells a story. So when, before John became a Christian, he met this guy, Gunnar Payne. And Gunner, he went to a home group of Gunners and he, um, well, I'll just, I'll read this. Much of my thinking about suffering is summed up in the life of a man who led me to Christ, Gunnar Payne. The first time I, I met Gunnar, I knew there was something different about him. It was in April 1963, and I'd been invited into a home Bible study where Gunnar was the teacher. He was a good teacher, intelligent, insightful, patient. But that wasn't what got my attention. What impressed me about him was the quality of the man, a central aspect of which was his character. He appeared sound, complete, and uncorrupted. Nothing mattered except living for God. And so he was asking, he asked, he wanted to know why. Why did he... Why was he like this? Over the next three months, I discovered the secret of Gunnar's maturity. He had learned to trust trust Jesus Christ through immense personal suffering. In 1952, a young man attacked his 15-year-old daughter, Ruby Ann, brutally murdering her. The ensuring trial, which dragged on for six years, drew national attention when it became a test case for capital punishment. 
Then in 1962, tragedy struck again when, the 20, when, his, when their dead 22-year-old son, Preston, suffered massive injuries in an automobile accident. To this day, somewhere in the 80s, um, uh, Gunnar and his wife still care for Preston. The night of Ruby Ann's death, Gunnar gathered his wife and son around the table. Sorry, this... Um, Father, I don't understand. But I won't question, I trust you. So Gunnar's character, and he's prayed that, he says he's pray, prayed that prayer many times since. And uh, Gunnar's character was formed in part through trial and suffering. Being, attaining the fullness of unity and faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and, and becoming mature, attaining the full measure of the fullness of God, sometimes means there are hard things that we have to go through. And there's no, no putting a shine on that. It is what it is. Um, and, but if we look to our master, Jesus, he suffered on our behalf so much more for us. I read, I don't even know where I read this, but someone was saying that, you know, we think about, when you think about Jesus' suffering, what do you think about? The cross, right? Think about him on the cross. But actually, if you think about it, he was in heaven, in glory, in that perfect place, and he stepped out of that into a life here in a world beset by brokenness, sin, death, and Satan. So his whole life here, in one sense, was suffering because he was cut off from that, which, was cul which culminated in the cross. So he, he suffered for us, not just at the cross, but through his whole life. And so I think, and, and there's, there's just a ton of scriptures that says that that's, I mean, he prays in John uh, uh, 15, I think, well, no, John 17, that, um, that people would stand under persecution. And in Matthew 6, in the uh, Beatitudes, he says, Be blessed are you when you're persecuted on behalf of me. Just a, a couple of places, let alone uh, what Paul went through in his ministry. Now, there's a thing that I didn't realize until I was reading the Kingdom Suffering book. If you look at suffering in the New Testament, it um, it means, the words that are used mean persecution, mean being beset, uh, attacked, um, and, and, it's, and essentially it's used completely in terms of how you're treated for your faith. And it's not the same as illness. How illness is treated in the New Testament is different. And so I think there's a thing where in our modern culture where um, we have a quick fix culture and where there should be medicine that fixes everything and, and, we, and we, we've come to equate the worst kind of suffering as being sick. But that's not how it's treated in the New Testament. Right? The, the suffering that comes to Christians is because of their faith and because they have been living and walking in their faith. So, and when it talks about, uh, in James it says, if, if you're suffering get the elders and pray with them and pray for obedience, pray for strength, pray for release, 
pray for the, the ability to stand and pray for courage and, and patience and wisdom and peace and all of that. And if you are sick, get the elders and come and pray and they will pray for you and you'll be healed. So I just wanted to, to just highlight that, that I think that um, I think when I think about the culture, that, that how I see the culture that I live in, there's this thing where the worst kind of thing that can happen to people is something that might make them unhappy, right? Or something that might be inconvenient or painful, right? We live in this culture that's, that's really all about having it together and being happy and onto it. And there's not a lot of time for, and, and, and space for people to be, and, and we've kind of conflated suffering with sickness, but I think that, uh, at least in the kingdom, there are different ways to deal with those things. I think, um, and I think about, you know, if we, there's lots of different things that we can go through in this life um, that are born of the world, born of our own fleshly desires, and born of attacks of the, the enemy, of, our, of, our, of the devil. I think for me, one of the things I've really been dealing with over the past, well, probably four years really, um, is, but particularly the last two and two or so, is I burnt out really badly at work. And I look back on that and there's a whole lot of things that happened. And I remember when I started in my job, I made a really conscious decision to try to walk in faith in that place and to pray for my staff and pray for the workplace and to be, um, you know, light. Not to be sort of all over, you know, you know but just to be uh, light. And in a, in a management job, how, do, how can I uh, redeem difficult situations? How can I be an agent of redemption and an agent of forgiveness and an agent of peace in that place? And a whole lot of things happened in my work that now I look back on and go, man... I really didn't realise how much I was under attack and how much the, uh, the enemy used my weakness to drive me into a really dark place, a place uh, and a place where I, all of those aspirations disappeared and I, I really became bitter and angry and unforgiving and... Uh, and a whole lot of things that when I think about being a Christian in that place, <laughs> I was not walking that path. I was, and and I've, I fell victim to that, partly, you know, and it's, it, it was a, partly the circumstances around me and partly what it brought out in me and that I let live in me rather than taking it to God. And it, it really, you know, I got to a point where... Um, Everything seemed dark and there was no way out. And uh, thankfully, through um, the mercy of people at work, not, uh, not necessarily Christians, uh, through my family, through realising that I needed prayer and getting prayer and, and, and um, getting help and seeking God and really trying, pressing into him to go, please rescue me from this that he's slowly brought me out of that place. And, uh, I, I, and I trust him 
that it's forming character in me that will stand the test of time because it still feels quite hard, actually. It's still quite raw and um, both what, I've, what I went through and what I, some of the things that I, I struggle with that were done to me or how I was treated, but also how I just let myself, you know, feel like I let myself down and let God down and all that kind of stuff. But, but his grace is sufficient for me. And he's reminded me so many times that his grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weakness. He is um, with me in that place, walking through those things. And he has carried me in this time. So, you know, it, it, it comes in many forms. And I think the other thing I think in our culture, we're very quick to... Uh, Look to the physical for the source of our problems. I'm sick, so I need to go to the doctor. I need prayer for healing or whatever. I'm, uh, you know, I've got, I'm worried. I've got anxious thoughts, so I need medication or counselling or something. It's not to say these things are bad, but I think that our culture has conditioned us not to look to the spiritual. And as I said at the start, there is a cosmic conflict going on and we are the foot soldiers of that conflict. And that is not just, that is a, the, the world is physically broken because of the sin of people, right? The, so bad things happen, but we are also under attack. The last thing that the enemy wants is for you to stand up for your faith anywhere, here, anywhere else. For you to go, oh, hey, you're not feeling well, I could pray for that for you. Or you're, you're anxious. If you like, I could pray for you. The last thing he wants is for us to witness to the kingdom and to the coming king. And he will work to take you out for that. And as I, as I um, quoted John Wimber, and it's, as he summarized scripture, there is a degree to which God will allow that to happen to form you to be more Christ-like. So um, I'd like to say, oh, no, Christians don't suffer. It's all good. But that would be, uh, A, completely unreal, and B, uh, a lie. Um, so I think we, we need to be prepared for what happens when it happens. And what does that look like? I think I'll probably got out of step with whatever I was going to put up here. Um, so this is from um, uh, Kingdom Suffering. And he talks about how in, you know, how suffering is viewed as a, as a discipline, but that Christians encounter tests of faith, but these originate from our internal drive to evil and, or, from the, or from the enemy. I think I actually misquoted that, sorry. In other words, we are locked in a cosmic conflict in which the evil one seeks to destroy us and rule this world. So we pray. Our job is to pray right? and, to, and to be obedient. Keep us from the, from the test, deliver us from the evil one. While there is real power against us, God remains in control, and this is the trust. I was listening to the, there's a song by Lauren Daigle that I was listening to in the car on the way down here called Trust in You. You know, when you don't move the mountains, when you don't part the sea that I want to walk through, I will still trust in you. Sometimes we don't see 
what's happening with our prayer. While, while he does allow suffering for his purposes and our good, God stands on our side, arming us, delivering us, and limiting the ability of the devil to harm us. So, you know, it, it, it comes with the territory. Uh, this is from a different book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, which I also highly recommend. It's really good. And he talks about how we've lost sight of what is arrayed against us as Christians. And the Bible talks about the devil, the flesh, and the world. And he's kind of broken this down into this heuristic, right? The devil lies to us. The devil is the father of lies and will speak to us and speak lies to us, speak lies to me about how you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and we get deceived, we get these deceptive ideas. And we've seen the, the, the massive... I mean, one of the things I think about when I think about modern social media is, it, you know, technology is neutral. It's just a thing, right? But I, it feels to me like the, the, our enemy has weaponized it to tell lies. Doesn't mean it can't also be used to speak the truth. And the thing is, is those deceptive ideas play to disordered desires in us. We are broken. We are sinful. We are fallen people. We have things in us that are going to be uh, weak spots that those lies where they can find soil. And those lies are normalized in a sinful society. And so this, these things all happen, right? And, that, that, and you might find that actually you struggle with different bits of it. But it's, it's so often that we look to the end bit. Oh, our society is broken, right? It endorses this thing. You know, I mean euthanasia bills and, and, and all sorts of stuff that have been passed in, in the last term. And, oh, society is evil. But it, it's all, there's a system arrayed, the system of the world, the system of the enemy. And what he talks about in Live No Lies, and I don't have time to go into all of this, is he talks about, this is my language, right, how to be an agent of the kingdom, how to be an agent of the future. In this, right, we can live, he talks about the ancient ways, so the things that, you know, for the last 2,000 years, like, you know, I talked about Matariki, right? We can look to the past to inform our future. Our, again, our society, and in the church today, is not very good at this, particularly the sort of Protestant evangelical church is not very good at this. We tend to just not think about the past. But we have thousands of years of history of, of people who've been dealing with this stuff. Augustine of Hippo writes about it. There are, and there are writers all throughout history who have talked about the power of prayer, the power of fasting, the power of solitude and silence and obedience and serving the poor and mercy and how those things transform us and enable us to stand against the devil, the flesh, and the world. And so, like in, in most, um, what I see and what I see written about in a lot of sort of Western church tradition is about read your Bible, pray, go to church. Good, do those things. But there's so many other things we can do. Fasting. Uh, who has spent a day by themselves without social media, somewhere out of the way in silence in the last year? No one. And it doesn't surprise me because it's not something we teach. It's not something that we do. But it's, it's a powerful spiritual tradition and spiritual discipline. 
Uh, I'm taking a week off work next week, and I'm just looking at my days going, actually, I want to pick one where I, I want to go out and just be away, go out bush, maybe if it's a nice day, go down. I love going down the south coast. It's just the rugged land there kind of speaks of God to me. And walk and just spend time alone with God. The power of silence there actually is that it's not just silence as in it's actually it's about stilling yourself to listen to what he's saying. Or serving the poor, right? Going out, feeding the feeding the hungry, praying for the sick, all of these things. There are these traditions that we have in a long history of Christianity that we can rely on and we can use to help ourselves when times get tough. So that in like gonna pain, in those times of suffering, people can see the character of Christ formed in us. And then we can also live for the future. That place, right? That place where there is no pain, no death, where God wipes away every tear and where he dwells with us. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. And we can speak to that now. We can be agents of that now. We can say, well, God is here with us. He is absolutely here with us. He is dwelling with us right now. He wants to bless his people. He wants to bless us to be a blessing to others. And we can pray for the sick. And we can pray for words of knowledge and encouragement and peace. And we can pray for... Um, calm, right? We live in such an anxious society. We can pray for calm. We can seek God for the peace that transcends understanding for our, 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 our community. We can live in community. We can be agents of the future. We can be uh, one of the things that gets talked about in um, uh, vineyard sort of theology is being a word worker. I speak the word and then, I, then the work of the Holy Spirit is done. I become a vessel of the work of the Holy Spirit. Here is the proclamation. Here is the demonstration of the kingdom. So I just want to talk about unanswered prayer for a second because I think that's a real trap for us as Christians. And it's a real trap for us. There are some theologies that really struggle a little bit with this. Um, and, and one of the things that um, I really struggle with is this idea that if uh, I pray for healing for somebody and they don't get healed, either there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with them. And I think we forego God's sovereignty. So this quote here, again from John Wimber, the fact that we are living between the first and the second comings of Christ, George Ladd wrote this book called, he wrote about kingdom theology, so he's a theologian. He calls it the already and the not yet provides an interpretive key for understanding why the physical healing Christ secured for us on the cross is not always experienced today. His sovereignty, lordship, and kingdom are what bring healing, not my prayer. Right? He heals. My, my, the, the level of faith that I bring to the table when I pray for people, I've prayed for completely faithlessly for people to be healed, not believing for a second that it's going to happen, and then they go, I feel great. I'm just like, Okay, cool. Wow, God, you're so cool. Because, you know, it's not me that's doing it, right? Our part is to pray, thy kingdom come and trust his will for whatever, and trust him for whatever healing comes. And if in this age it does not come, then we still have an assurance that it will come in the age to come. We 
have no right to presume that unless God heals in every instance, there is something wrong with our faith or his faithfulness. Paul experienced times where he prayed for people and they weren't healed. I think about the, um, you know, and I think about situations where one person was healed, right? So the pool of Siloam in John 5, right? Jesus comes down and he heals one person. There are a whole bunch of other people there who all want prayer and all want healing as well, but one person is healed. It's for his glory that this stuff happens. It's his kingdom that brings it, whether it's healing or words of knowledge or peace or whatever. Now, I remember when I first became a Christian, I really struggled with this when people would pray for healing and then go, oh, if you haven't been healed, there's some unconfessed sin in your life or there's some problem with you. And in our language of today, that just feels to me like victim blaming, right? We are just blaming the person we were praying for who didn't get healed. It's their fault they didn't get healed. That's not how this works. That's not, that's to me, that, that's not how God works, right? He's a loving God and he will heal, absolutely. So um, Natalia was worried. She made me drink coffee this morning so that I wouldn't speak off the cuff and embarrass her. Um, like James did last week. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but you know, she, she's like, oh, no, I'll make sure you jacked up on coffee so you'll stay on task. But, <laughs> but, um, but, but I think, so Natalia um, uh, has, has had epileptic seizures. Right? And there have been times when there have been quite a lot. Actually, over the last uh, few years, there haven't been, been very many. Um, Ever since I've known her, I still remember the very first time uh, I saw her have a seizure. It was at Braveheart, the movie, um, and uh, and you know, and since then there've been a few. And I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for her to be healed. And I've gone through all these things, right, where it's a problem with me. My faith isn't good enough, or I have some sin that I need to confess, so my prayers are not efficacious. Or there's something wrong with her. Her prayers, you know, you know and I've, I've gone through all that. I've thought about it all. Or there's something wrong with God. But I know that she will be healed beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'm convinced of it because God is good. And if he doesn't do it in this life, there's an eternity with him where she will not be, uh, will not have seizures. An eternity, right? The Oh, what do you think, 70, 80 years, however long you have um, <laughs> on this earth, <laughs> are nothing compared to what's to come, right? It's nothing compared to what's to come. And if through what's happening with her, God is forming character in her and in me, because it's formed character, it's taught me a whole lot, right, about trusting God and not being dominated by what I see or think I see or don't see. Trust in God for his will and his plan for her life and my life. So it's not, as as he says down the bottom, I have no right to presume on God's sovereignty. He is sovereign, he is king, and he is good, and he has good things for us. And that, yes, man, there are going to be some tough times. 
that we go through, whether it's uh, persecution for our faith or suffering for our faith or illness or whatever, things happen. They do. They really do. But he is good in all of it and he, he walks with us in all of it. And we have a choice. When suffering comes, when sickness comes, to blame God for that or to trust him and trust his plan for our lives. You know, one of the really ironic things, I'm just going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, one of the things I think is really funny that happens, when something happens, right, there's a disaster or someone gets sick and people who don't believe in God blame God for it. I'm just like, I want to just, you know, wheel back and let's go back to that assumption that there's a God that you can blame for it and have a chat about that. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, living the future means, oh, the, a quote from Live, Living the Future that I really liked, right? And this was uh, John Wimber. Um, one of the things he uh, talked about was that living the future means releasing an army of healers who could continue to pray obediently for the sick despite setbacks and the inevitable experience of seeing failure in their prayers. So the reason I put unanswered prayer in quotes up there is because God will answer that prayer. Hence, it's a matter of his timing for it, right? And, and what, the, what is the bigger plan that he has and sees? And what that means, though, is we are free free from the kind of expectations we might put on ourselves and other people to go, oh, you're a healer, you can do this thing, or you're a prophet, you can do this thing. We're free to try, and we're free to fail, and we're free to learn. So one of the things about vineyard theology is this idea that the gifts are situational, not constitutional. So what do I mean by that? Constitutional is this, it's kind of, it's often more charismatic or Pentecostal kind of thing where they talk about someone has the gift of healing and they are a healer. They have a healing ministry. Certainly there are people who have that, and that's all good. But God empowers his people in the moment to do what he wants done. Everybody, right? Anyone here of any age, stage, or whatever you want to call it of life can pray for someone to be healed, and God will move. You know, he will, he will bless, right? I've, I've prayed for people to be healed and they haven't been healed, but actually in the prayer that I've spoken for them, they've been enormously encouraged about something else that was going on, right? Our job is to trust God and to be obedient to the thy will be done, to stand with people and pray for them and trust him and learn, learn to listen for his voice. These, these are skills we can develop. And so... Let's develop it. Let's, let's have a crack. I'm really nervous about this. So, you know, and, and just to, to free you up, because I'm, you know, I'd really like to see us all praying for each other in a few minutes. I've been going the whole day, and actually some of yesterday, been going through these weird things of fear of failure. What happens if I say, okay, Lord, kingdom come, Lord, let your kingdom come, and we do stuff and nothing happens? And going, oh my goodness, that's going to look bad for me. But actually, it's, it's just not about me. It's about him. Right? He is in charge. But you know, the funny thing is, is that fear, you know what fear leads to? Bargaining. <laughs> right? Oh yeah, well if you come and you do this, then I'll do that. I'll be, I'll be extra good. 
Are we even gooder? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I just want to free you up. You know, you feel free to bargain. The thing is, is that what actually is important is our obedience. We are called to be his servants. We are called to be obedient. If someone, now, just to, to throw myself under the bus, right? There have been times when there's been ministry time and someone's been up here and they're looking around for people to pray for people and I'm going, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, that's fine, right? There's sometimes things are going on for you and you're like, I'm not in that space. But actually, it's a privilege to stand with people in prayer. You don't have to have it together. You don't have to have all the fancy words. You can just pray, God, let your kingdom come. Bless this person. If they've asked for healing, say, oh, God, heal them. You don't, you don't have to have the fancy words, the speaking in tongues, the whatever it is that you think is necessary. You can just stand with people before God and pray. It says in Hebrews that, uh, Hebrews 4, I think it is, that we have the, uh, I'm not going to be able to find it, that we have the, um, you know, the veil has been torn and we can enter into the kingdom, the, the, the courts of the king with confidence for the mercy and the grace that we need in our, in our time. So we can stand with people. And I know as someone who's been prayed for a lot, right, I need a lot of prayer, um, but we all do, right, um, that having someone stand with me, even if they don't have anything to say other than, you know, Lord bless Matt or bless this, you know, then it's, it's enormously comforting. So we can do it. We can pray. So there's a few things that I thought, um, first, specific things that I thought to pray for. Uh, Actually, sorry, just going back to that thing about um, praying for people. Marty had a word at, um, at the start. You know, his power is made perfect in our weakness. And the thing that's important about praying for people and praying for God's kingdom to come is not you, if you're praying for someone else, right? What's important is what's going on between them and God. You, to use Marty's favorite word, are a conduit, right? You're just a vessel for God. You're an agent of his in this space. If you pray for someone and the word doesn't land and they tell you that, well, good, that's fine. Right? It's not about you, it's about them and God. If you pray, you know, so it's very easy, and I've, I've certainly done this, to get into a space where you're praying for someone and you're like, ah, and you start to make it about you, about how good is my prayer for them. It doesn't matter, right? Just pray, whatever. And, and when it comes to words of knowledge, uh, you know, or, or, or uh, sort of small prophetic, small p prophetic words and that kind of thing. Um, I often find that <laughs> you have this moment. Like I've had, I've been praying for people, and I've got this weird idea in my head about what, a picture or a word about what to pray for them. I'm like, I can't say that. I can't say that. And I'm praying with someone else, and the other person says exactly what I was going to say. Like, oh well, okay. If God's not going to use me, He used them, right? So just trust God, right? And if you're being prayed for, you don't have to receive what is prayed over you. So it needs to be safe for all parties, right? Someone might have a prayer that actually is not okay because we're all learning, right? We're all learning, and that's okay. You don't have to receive that. 
Focus on God, focus on what he's doing, and let him use whatever is done and whatever is being prayed. So I would like, uh, there's, there's a, a couple of things in particular that I think we should pray for. We're going to stand in a minute and pray um, and spend time. Uh, so first is sleeplessness. So there have been all these stories. I've been, one of the things burnout did to me ruined my sleep. Right? And there are other uh, stories that I've heard from people who are really struggling with sleeplessness. And that, 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 to me, is a real attack. If the enemy can take away your sleep, it's really hard to be resilient and persevere in other things. So if you, if you are struggling with sleeplessness or know someone who's struggling with sleeplessness, then please, let's pray for that. Pray for that peace. Uh, and, and, and a wider thing about that is peace in our anxious times, right? But the other thing, actually... Uh, the other word of encouragement in terms of praying for people was Taylor had a word for me at the start of the service and he said he saw a person drawing in the sand and drawing a straight line in the sand with a crooked stick. I'm a very crooked stick, but God can draw straight lines with me, right? So trust him, right? So if you'd stand with me. Uh, the other thing is, is just we're going to pray for the imparting of gifts, the gifts of the Spirit.